So if you walk up to a stranger and you invite them to follow Jesus, you invite them to become a believer, you invite them to become a Christian, and if they were to then ask you this question, why should I follow Jesus? What's the benefit? What's in it for me? What, why should I give up everything in order to follow Jesus? If they were to ask you why, what would you say? What would be your response? What would be your reason to why? Because it's one thing to tell someone, hey, you need to follow Jesus. You need Christ in your life. You need to become a Christian. And then if, if they said why to you, what would you answer them? What would you say? Because before anyone says yes to anything, especially something as big as a commitment to following Jesus, man, uh, people are going to want to know some things. They want to know what's the value in it. What's in it for me? What's the benefit of following Jesus? And here's what we've done as the church for a long time, for hundreds of years. The church has tried to sell people on the idea of following Christ based off of the fact, oh, you'll get a, a lot of joy out of the deal. You, that's what you'll get. Or, or you'll get a lot of peace out of the deal. I just have so much peace for following Christ. And so we use those as kind of the, the selling points to try to tell other people about Jesus. And that's the benefits that some would describe. Others would say, uh, well, you follow him because of the blessings. He blesses you. And, and blessings become this really uh, ambiguous word where we say blessings and it can pretty much mean kind of whatever you want it to mean. Uh, you know, follow Jesus and you'll get blessed. And we don't really even know what we mean when we say that. Other people would present a formula of faith and they would talk about sowing seeds and expectation to enhance your life here on earth. And, and they would kind of present the why of following Jesus would be wrapped up in, you know, the benefits package. Uh, this is kind of what comes with being a Christ follower. Here are the benefits package, and, and we're trying to sell others on the reason for our faith and why we follow Jesus. But, but let's put all that to the side for the moment, because what does the Bible say the benefits are? I don't think that we should try to have to sell Christ to people and convince them to follow Jesus because of what they get out of the deal. What does the Bible say the real treasure is? And then what is the real treasure, the real value of following Jesus? And what are the things that are just a myth, the things that we've bought into, the things that we think actually matter when we're missing the real treasure? In Matthew 13 and 44, Jesus says this. He gives this parable, and we're just going to kind of camp out here in this parable today. Matthew 13 and 44, Jesus says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field that's been hidden. And a guy just walking along, he wasn't looking for the treasure. It's not like he's Nicolas Cage reading the back of the Declaration of Independence and using the hidden map, and he's trying to find this thing. He's on this quest. The Bible doesn't say this man was on a quest. He's walking in a field, and he stubs his toe on a box. 
And he goes, what was that? And he looks down and he sees something that so overwhelms him with joy that he realizes it's not even his yet. He realizes it's not even something that he can lay claim to, but because he sees how valuable it is, the joy of the discovery motivates him to go back to his home and put a big giant for sale sign on everything that he has, everything he's worked for, everything he's considered treasure, everything he's considered valuable. He he dumped his 401k. He went and sold his cars, his camels, or whatever. And he takes all of the money to whoever owns the field. And he says, here, you take all of this because I don't want it anymore because I found what really matters. And then he buys the field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So I want us to examine this very, very short parable. And I want us to examine it and look at it in light of eternity to be able to find out the greater yes, the thing that we can mine out of this that is really, really simplistic. I mean, but at the same time, we struggle with it so, so very much because it's so easy for us to buy into the myth of more. So let's look at this parable and consider a few things here. The treasure was a discovery. Think about this. The treasure was a discovery. Again, he did not go on a quest. The Bible doesn't say, this man went out searching. This man went out looking. No, it says that he found (coughs) this treasure that was hidden in a field. It was something that was hidden, and he found it. And it was something that he had discovered. He saw value in this before he ever was able to possess it. The man found value in the treasure before he had laid claim to it and laid hold to it. So let me ask this question to you and to me and to everyone who may be in in, in the jail or everyone who may be out in the commons area or watching online. Let's examine this. Let's think about this. How valuable is Christ? How valuable is Christ? Because the thing that I see in the parable of the treasure hidden in the field was that this man had such joy over what he had discovered. The joy wasn't in what he possessed. The joy was in what he had discovered. He was so joyful over the opportunity that he had stumbled upon. He was so overjoyed by the opportunity of what was in front of him that he just happened to walk across in a field. He discovered it. He found it. It had been hidden from his eyes. And then when his eyes were open and he saw the treasure, he valued it so much that it caused such a course correction in his life, such a change in his life. He didn't have to go be taught how to value the treasure in the field. He didn't say, oh, well, there's this treasure in the field. I, I, somebody needs to tell me you know, how valuable this is, how important it is, and, and, and maybe, maybe I'll buy into it. He didn't look and go, oh, man, this is going to make me blessed. <laughs> he didn't look at it and say, oh, man, this is going to bring me so much peace and so much joy, so that's why I want it. No, it was just because he had seen something in that that was more valuable than anything else. Everything else dulled in comparison 
to what he had stumbled upon. And Jesus said, this is what it's like when you truly have your eyes open, when you truly see the value and the beauty of Christ and who he is. Has our discovery led us to joy that would cause a radical shift in what we value? I mean a radical shift. This guy made a radical shift in what was important. He didn't have to go be taught what was important. And no one said, hey, value the treasure in the field because you're supposed to. No one said, value the treasure in the field because it's what will make God happy. Or that's what's going to, 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 to make God love you more. Go value the treasure in the field. No, he just saw it and got it because his eyes were shielded from it. He hadn't seen it before. It was hidden. And once it became obvious to him, Everything in his life began to change. Can I tell you that what Christianity offers us is this simple? Christ is what Christianity offers us. Amen, somebody. Christ is what Christianity offers you. It's not Christ plus something else becomes more, makes, makes this worth it to forsake everything and to take up my cross and follow him. No, it's, it's Christ and Christ alone. Go over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, <coughs> the apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, he says this, we're going to read verse 3 through 11. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi and he's telling them, listen, we're not putting confidence in our flesh and what we've done and our accolades and what we've accomplished and what we've achieved and how good uh, of a boy or girl we've been, whether we're on the naughty or nice list, you know. He, he said, that's not what we're putting confidence in. And Paul's saying, but if we're going to put confidence in the flesh, man, I've got a lot of reasons to put confidence in the flesh because, man, if you want to look at the good things I've done in life, whoo, I've done some pretty good things. And here's what he says. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the uh, flesh also. If anyone thinks he has more reason or more confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> man, that's like a bold gangster statement right there. <laughs> he said, you think you've got confidence in the flesh? I got more. He said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and that I may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, that I may share His sufferings and becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think Paul found the treasure in the field. Just by reading that, wouldn't you think that Jesus saying that the kingdom is like a man who found a treasure hidden in the field, don't you think that right there describes someone who just found the treasure in the field? Can you hear the passion and the conviction in Paul's voice? Can you hear the self-deprecating statements of the things I've done are nothing? King James says, I count them as dung. They're rubbish. They're worthless. I'm not building my security of my life and my foundation on the myth that I have done something in order to become worthy of following Christ, but rather my salvation, my hope, my dependence rests on Christ alone. And Christ is what I get. That's what Christianity offers me because I have found something more valuable. I have found something of more intrinsic worth than anything else that he says, I have forsaken everything else. And Jesus told us this. He tried to communicate to us. He said, don't just follow me because of the benefits package. In other words, hey, if you're going to choose a career path, don't just choose a career path just because you go, oh, they have nice benefits. Because if you do that just for the benefits, then you're in the thing for the wrong reason. You're not really helping the company. You're not really there for the right reasons. You're not going to find joy in the journey. You're just there for what you can get out of the deal. When there's so much more to follow in Christ, there is so much more to follow in Christ. We have to stop looking at following Christ as if Christ is the pathway to get me all of the things and all the experiences that I want to have in this temporal vapor of life here on the earth. If that's what we're chasing after, it's like chasing after the wind. It's hevel, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says. It's meaningless. It's like trying to grab smoke. It's like trying to hold on to something that I, I look at, I admire, but as soon as it appears, it just seems to be gone, and I, I can't grab a hold of it. And I've spent my whole life chasing the myth. I've spent my whole life chasing after this thing, this pursuit. And I think that if Jesus can help me get where I want to go and get me the things I want, sure, sign me up. I'll follow him because of the benefit package. But Jesus didn't say, follow me because of the benefits. Jesus never tried to sell following him because of the benefits. As a matter of fact, Jesus told people, he said, you want to follow me? Really? You want to follow me? He said, okay, you need to count the cost. He said, it would be foolish of someone to start building a building and they really didn't count the cost. And then they get halfway into it and the building's like halfway done. And then all of a sudden they go, oh man, we don't have enough money to finish this. He said everyone would laugh and mock at them and say, hey, this person didn't count the cost. They, they went and, and bought all the materials that they thought they needed, but then they didn't really count how much they actually needed, and they're a few dollars short and a few two before short. And everyone's going, this person didn't do their due diligence beforehand. He said, 
you need to make sure that you count the cost, that there is a cost to following Christ. It's not because of all of the other benefits that I get. Any blessing that I receive, anything that benefits me in this life apart from me knowing Christ and Him crucified is a fringe benefit from the purpose. I just get to go, wow, God, thank you. I, I don't deserve any of this. I didn't earn any of this. It's all about you. It's all for your glory. You see, it becomes all about Christ. That's what Christianity offers me. Not Christ plus all of these other things. Go over to Colossians. Just flip over just a few pages. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. The same writer of Philippians, Paul, writes this to the church in Colossae. Colossians 2, we're going to read verse 1 through 15 where Paul says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. You get Christ. Are you hearing me today? You get Christ. What does Christianity offer you and I? Christ. And guess what? He is enough. Christ is enough all by himself. He is the treasure in the field. It's not, okay, I got Christ. Now what else? Now I got Christ. Now let's move on to other things. No, I get Christ. My gratitude, my thankfulness should be rooted and grounded in the fact that Christianity offers me Christ. And if I never received anything else apart from Christ, he is enough. It's not Jesus, I'll follow you because of what you do for me. No, it's Jesus, I'll follow you because of who you are. Because I'm so captivated and over the joy of what I have stumbled upon in the field, what my eyes have been opened to, what I've now been enlightened to, and I see the value. It's so worth everything. Lord, whatever you want, I consider it all as rubbish. I don't need it. 
I don't want to buy into this myth of more. I don't want to buy into this myth that it's Jesus and then other things. No, no, no. It's Christ and Christ alone. So, Lord, I want to count the cost. I want to take up my cross. I want to follow you. Oh, Part of the, 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 the security of the believer is reminding themselves and evaluating themselves to see, Lord, am I really counting the cost? I believe that's part of the fruit of salvation. Is, a, is an ongoing evaluation, a regular heart check, if you will. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about communion to the Corinthian church, he tells them, examine yourselves. Take some time, examine yourselves. Because I don't want to be going through the motions. I don't want to be putting my security in something else. Because I don't know about you, but my heart can drift. Because i got this flesh stuff that's got to die. I've got this old man that, that, that I've got to put off and I've got to put on the new man. But because the old man and those old ways, they, they have to change. I have to renew my mind to the holy word of God because he's washing me, he's sanctifying me, he's helping me to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness so I can understand how to value the treasure that I have stumbled upon. And nothing else even matches, nothing even compares. Nothing's even in the same galaxy, man. Nothing's in the same ballpark at all other than Christ. All these other pursuits, all these other things that we treasure, all these other things that we value, it is Christ. That's what Christianity offers. And the peace that we get? I don't serve Christ because of the peace, but I have peace because I know that I'm right with God through Christ. I don't serve Christ because of the joy. I have joy because I found value in Christ. Are you seeing this? I'm not going, okay, what's in it for me, God? Jesus, that's what's in it for you because you deserve hell, but because of Christ, you're not going to get that if you put your faith and hope and trust in Him and the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and makes you new. Why would that not be the most valuable thing, not what else? I'm waiting, God. Impress me. Sell me on this idea. God's not doing anything to try to impress us or, or woo us with something other than Christ because Christ is enough. It, it's, it's not like we're wanting to dangle all these trinkets and God just dangling all these carrots and going, come to Jesus and it'll get you this. You know, he's not laying out the, the little trail of the cookies and you're just following the trail. Come, come to Christ. <laughs> no, it's you get Christ. It's Christ and it's value and it's real treasure because Christ is all there is to offer. And here's why, because he's all we truly need. He is all we truly need. I, you know, I, I, I struggle because sometimes I feel like I don't really know like how to help people when they're struggling because all I know to tell them is, is, is pursue Christ. And they look at me funny like, like, what do you mean? Like, no, tell me the real answer. The, the real answer is Christ. The real answer is still the treasure in the field. People look at you like you're crazy. Well, no, 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 I want the real secret. What's the real secret in the sauce, you know? It's, it's Christ. Like, literally, it's Christ. <laughs> Paul said at the end of his life, the, guy, the apostle Paul, you guys, theologian, Pharisee of Pharisees, trained under the, 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 the top guy you can get trained under. 
Like he went to the elite Pharisee training center to be trained. He got like the number one guy you want to be trained by. He had all these accolades. He was born to the right family, the right lineage. He was, he was following the law better than his peers. And he's, he's the guy that's planted all these churches and, and suffered for the sake of Christ. And then at the end of his life, he says, you know what? I don't know anything except Christ and himself crucified. Like, that's all I got. You would expect, like, if you invited someone to speak at, like, you know, your, your, your college graduation, they're going to deliver, you know, this wonderful address to the graduating class. You expect them to just be, like, dumping all these, like, nuggets of, like, whoa, that was the, that was the most motivational, most, most heartfelt, most just, like, incredible speech I ever heard. I, he told me things I'd never heard before, things I've never thought about, motivations I'd never felt before. And, and I mean, we, we, we watch those types of speeches, but imagine, here comes Paul, and, and he's coming to, to the church, and he's giving them his, his, his final address, and he goes, guys, I don't know anything. Did we book the right guy? Like, uh, who was in charge of booking, booking this? Uh, he just said he doesn't know anything except Christ. Like, we already know that. So what's he really trying to say? Uh, everything else, uh, man, it, all these other things, I don't, I don't know anything else but Christ and himself crucified because at the end of the day, guess what? Opinions are going to change. Societies are going to change. People are going to change. But the one thing that remains the same is that Christ is still the hope of the world. And Christ is still all we need. And Christ is still enough. Everything else that says that you need this, you must have this in order to be complete, successful, happy, whatever, it's a myth. And it's a myth that has been crafted by the enemy in order to do what? To distract you from valuing the treasure in the field. That's all it is. It's just a distraction. It's something that wants to deviate your attention, to divide the church, to divide families, to divide relationships, to divide purpose, to divide all of us who are gifted and called and, 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 and fit into this body of Christ, the church. It's just, it's just another tactic to get us to be divided and distracted. So we'll get our eyes off of Christ being enough. Because if we start believing that it's something else other than Christ, we'll start pursuing something other than Jesus, thinking, well, I know, I just need, I, I, Jesus, hang on a second, because i got to fix this. And Jesus is like, no, I, I'm still the answer. I'm still the hope. I, I, I'm, I'm still everything, and it's not because of what I get you, it's because of who I am. Christ is all there is to offer because he's all we truly need. In other words, here's what the man in the parable that we read earlier found, that losing everything for the kingdom of God is an incredible trade. It's worth it. It doesn't say he was reluctantly trading, going, oh, man, my great-grandma gave me that. I'm going to have to sell that. That's really valuable, but I really want to buy this field. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've always had that. I mean, what is, what's my wife going to think if I sell this to buy a field? She's going to think I'm crazy. I mean, we need to talk about this. Uh, no, man, I just bought that new camel. Just had him shoot, and, you know, <laughs> he doesn't spit as much as the last one. And, you know, yeah, he's got the elevated humps. It's just, I don't know. Uh, um, man, I don't know. I, I just got those new sandals. I, I mean, no, he... It doesn't say he contemplated and wrestled with selling everything. It said out of joy. 
he went and sold everything. In other words, he thought, this is so worth it. Are you kidding me? I have an opportunity. You see, he just didn't take the treasure. He wanted to buy the field. Isn't that wild? He wanted to buy the field. And so because of that, he went and sold everything that he had. Anything that he had ever, he didn't even care about what he got for it. It wasn't about, oh, let's negotiate. No, no, no. Just, I want to get rid of it because I want to do whatever it takes to possess this field. Because there's treasure in that field. When I was a kid, I collected basketball cards. And, um, and it's funny because one of our uh, global partners, uh, uh, Ryan Miller, who's in Colorado, um, he grew up uh, collecting basketball cards around the same era that I did. And he still has his collection. I still have my collection. And this is how nerdy we are as late 30s uh, grown men with children and families. Uh, he and I will still send each other basketball cards. Like sometimes I'll get a package in the mail from Ryan, and he knows the cards that I like. And even though I'm not into that anymore, and I, he, he still, just for fun, will send me some cards. that he, I was looking through my collection, and I thought you might like these. And well, just such a cool guy. And my favorite basketball player growing up was a guy that played for the Indiana Pacers, uh, Reggie Miller. He was my guy. And I collected Reggie Miller everything. Like, I didn't care what it was, you know. I didn't care if it was a cereal box, picture out of a magazine, you know, uh, basketball cards, any memorabilia with Reggie Miller on it. He was my guy. Um, I mean, he was my Michael Jordan, you know. Like, I thought he was the greatest and loved everything uh, about Reggie. And I would have other cards when, you know, I'd buy a package of cards. You know, you just get random players, and I'd thumb through the players, and, oh, wow, I got a Michael Jordan, or, or, or some of you, you know, you might remember names, you know, Carl Malone. I got Larry Bird. I got, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool, you know. And you're like, wow, look at these players I have. When one of my other friends that I would trade with down the street, if he got a Reggie Miller card I didn't have, I would be like, uh, Michael who? I, I didn't care. I, I, would, I, would, I would be like, Larry who? Here you go. You want Larry and Michael for that Reggie? Fine. I, I didn't care. It didn't matter to me at that point because he had something that I valued and I didn't care. Even if the other cards that I had, I would never even negotiate with him. He would take advantage of me so much. <laughs> My friend down the street, my little buddy Justin, he, he, would, he would bring his book and he would open up his book of all his cards and he would go, yeah, well, you know that Michael Jordan you have, that, that's, that's, that card, the book says it's worth $10 and this Reggie Miller is worth 15 cents. I don't care. I don't have it. Here you go. Take it. <laughs> you can have it. I don't even care. That was my value system in trading because it wasn't about the monetary value to me. It was about the fact that this was what I was after. This was what I was pursuing. And I was willing to give him any of my cards of higher value because I, I just didn't care. That was my guy. This is the type of heart that understands the value of Christ to when everything else becomes secondary. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what other people may say, where other people may go, what do you mean? You, you, you would be willing to, to give that up? You would be willing to walk away from that? You would be willing to sell that? You would be willing to give this type of time? You would be willing to invest this type of money, this, this, this type of, uh, of significant part of your life? I mean, you, you could be doing this and be so much more comfortable. Why would you do that? I don't care. I, it doesn't matter what you say is valuable. What I say is valuable is Christ because I've stumbled on a treasure in a field. Are you catching this? This is the heart of someone who has found Christ and value in him because here is the thing we need to stay rooted and grounded in as believers, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll read, read just this one more scripture today. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1 through 5, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, this is Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth, and he's telling the church, hey guys, I didn't come trying to sell you Christ and impress you with how smart I was. I didn't come to you waxing eloquently, trying to engage your intellect to get you to go, oh wow, Christ seems reasonable. Seems like a reasonable, smart, wise thing to do. He said, I didn't come to you with that type of speech. I didn't have some great commencement speech prepared. That's not what I came to you with. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Like, I know it wasn't even a good speech. I, I know, I know that I bombed. I know I didn't do a good job. I, I, I know how I sound. I know I'm not the smartest guy. But he says, I didn't come to you in plausible words of wisdom, but rather in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, you saw the power of God moving. You encountered the Holy Spirit, and you saw demonstrations of power that confirmed this was legit. You saw heart change. You saw God speak and do things that were beyond your ability. You saw God move, and so in demonstration and in power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when you look at the Apostle Paul, you're like, yeah, I know. You, you pulled a fast one there, Paul. You used to be Saul. You changed that S for a P. We caught you. And you were the guy that was hunting Christians. You were the guy that was putting us all in jail. You were the guy who, who, who and, you know, we thought it was a trick. Like, we, we, we caught you. You know, you were Saul. But, wow, this, this guy is really a different human being. Wow, the power of God is the only explanation for that because people don't just all of a sudden hate with a passion what Paul hated and were pursuing what he was pursuing with the passion that he was. And now he, he's actually preaching and teaching Christ, the very one he was persecuting. That, Paul said, I didn't come to you with great words. It wasn't my speech that did it for you. It wasn't, wasn't my speech. It, it was rather... You saw demonstration of power. You, you, you saw God move in, in powerful ways, not only in my life, but in your life. And when we would gather and, 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 and you would see the Holy Spirit of God doing things that pointed to him so that way you couldn't go, wow, Paul. Because he said, I don't know anything. I claim to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's look at this one more time. Matthew 13 and 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure 
hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So here's the question. Have you discovered this joy? And how far are you willing to go? Have you delighted in Christ? There was a young man who encountered Jesus when Jesus was walking in between cities. He was always followed by a crowd of people, you know. This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why don't you call me good? There's none good except God. And he said, Well, what do I need to do? He said, Okay, well, you know, well, you need to follow the commandments, you know. He goes, Yeah, I've done that since I was a little kid. Like, I've been a really good boy. And he goes, Yeah, okay, okay, I got you. You've been really good. Okay, well, if you want to be perfect, and that's what Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, if you're chasing after this, here's what it's going to take. If you want to be perfect, then go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross, and follow me. And the Bible says that the young man was so overwhelmed and so excited about the discovery he had found in the field that, no, that's not what the Bible says. If you know the story, you know that the Bible says the opposite. It says that the young man went away sad. And then Jesus said something interesting. And, and man, this, this has been nagging at me all week. Jesus said, it's really difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In Mark chapter 10. It's really difficult for a rich man to enter. And he didn't say it was impossible because his disciples said, well, who can be saved? I mean, this guy, he, he said he'd follow all the commandments. Like, how, he, how, who can be saved then? And he said, well, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But the reason that it's so difficult for the rich man to enter into the kingdom is because he's valuing something else. It's not impossible. There's a possibility that he can find value and worth in something other than temporary pleasures and riches. But really and truly, he said he's going to struggle with it because he doesn't really understand need. He doesn't understand need like he should. Because when we say, Jesus, I need you, do I understand need? When I say, Jesus, I value you, I love you, do I understand value? In other words, do I value him more than anything else or anyone else? So how far are you willing to go to discover this joy? Have you counted the cost? Have, you, have your eyes been opened to see the worth in Christ? Is he truly a treasure to you above any and all others? And here's an exhortation that I want to give to those of you who have known this joy before. And you know what I'm talking about. And you're wrestling and searching within yourselves today. Because you're, you're going, I remember when I stumbled on that treasure in the field. Some of you are like, I remember that. And man, I long for the days of the joy where I used to feel that. Well, I want to give you an exhortation from 2 Timothy where Paul talks to Timothy in the first few verses there. He says, Tim, he said, uh, there is a really awesome genuine faith in your grandmother, Lois, 
and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that that same kind of faith is in you too. It's something in you. It's been there before. And he says, so I remind you, Timothy, verse 6, to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, Paul says, listen, I've been mindful of your tears. I know you're struggling. I know you're going through a difficult time. I'm not going to come and lay hands on you again. I'm not going to come and bless you again. You don't need me to come and pray for you again. No, no, no. It's already on the inside of you. So, Timothy, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of sound mind. He tells them there's something in you. It was in your grandma. It was in your mom. It's in you. I laid hands on you. I prayed for you. I know God's in you. I know you stumbled upon that treasure. I know you found value in Christ. And maybe you've, you've kind of deviated and you begin to value other things. We need to do what Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 talks about when the angel of the Lord begins to tell John in the book of Revelation about the church of Laodicea. You're never hot nor cold. Because you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. He tells him, he says, listen, he said, your problem is, is that you say you're rich and you say you have need of nothing. But the real thing is that you don't know it, but you're actually poor and you're blind and you're naked. He said, so what do we need to do? We, here's what you do. You, you, you need to actually buy gold that has been refined through the fire from me. So in other words, you need to exchange your riches for what I call riches. Valuing the kingdom, valuing Christ. He said, you need to get eyesalve from me to anoint your eyes so you can see clearly. And you need to be clothed in righteousness that comes from Christ alone, not from your own good works, not from your own deeds. Instead of just going, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm good enough, I'm doing good. We buy into the myth of more, we buy into the myth of I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. No, no, no. We need to be pursuing God. We need to be pursuing Christ because we found value, not because someone told us to pursue Christ, but because we truly have found value in Him. Just like the angel tells the church in Laodicea, he tells them the church in, in Ephesus, he said, you're doing a lot of good things. You're, you're, you're doing really good. You're, you're giving to the poor. You're, you're being benevolent. You're loving each other. But I have one thing against you, he says to the church in Ephesus. He says, you've forgotten your first love. And I think that sometimes we've forgotten our first love or we get distracted thinking that we're fine when we're poor, blind, miserable, and naked. And what do we need to do? What's the answer? Same answer that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where he says, stir up the gift. It's on the inside. So Lord, let me return to my first love. Stir it up. Remember. Remember the value when you stumbled on that treasure. Remember the value of when you first came to know the Lord. Remember that first love. Be stirred up in that. And let that desire and that passion, let it reignite something in you that hasn't gone away. You can't blame the pastor. You can't blame the church. You can't blame your small group. You can't blame the, the, the Spirit of God no longer moving in this context or that context. It's you and Jesus. Stir up the gift. Church, I'm telling you, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift of God. It's on the inside of you. If you have discovered that joy and you are struggling with joy, stir up the gift. Return to your first love. Ask him, Lord, I need the gold refined in the fire. I need eye sap from you. Help me see it again. I don't need to depend on my own righteousness. Clothe my nakedness in your righteousness. And if you've never discovered that joy and you've been trusting in your own works, your own pedigree like Paul, it's all dung. It's all rubbish. 
today is the day for you to trust in Christ. Not tomorrow, not in five minutes, not in ten minutes, right now. Right now, may the Holy Spirit of God open your eyes to see your need and may you see Jesus as the answer to your need because it's Jesus and nothing else. What do I do, Pastor? Put your faith and hope in Him. Do what Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10 where he says that we need to believe in our heart. We need to confess with our mouth, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're, you're everything. You're worth it. I see it. I see the treasure in the field. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my rejecting you and, and, and pursuing the myth of more. Christ, you're enough. You're what I need. I see the value, and, and it should, because you're just so overwhelmed. Man, because you're overwhelmed. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling, when I'm going through something difficult, I get my eyes off of Jesus and I start getting them on me. I start getting them on my circumstance. I start feeling sorry for myself. I mean, maybe I'm the only person that does that. I don't know. But when I do that, I have to ground myself and root myself and remind myself that it's Jesus plus nothing. That when others betray you, wound you, persecute you, do you wrong, do you know that you giving grace to them is part of suffering with Christ? Do you know that you giving others grace when they treat you as a doormat? Do you know that's part of suffering with Christ? Because how did Christ suffer? He gave love to those who were spitting upon him. He gave grace to those who were despitefully using him and abusing him and betraying him. Peter, his closest guy that says, hey, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll never deny you. Three times, boom, denied. And then Jesus lovingly wraps his arms around him and just loves him through it and says, Peter, do you love me more than me? Go feed my sheep. Get back to work. <laughs> I don't know anything else, you guys, except Christ and himself crucified. All I know is the gospel, is that he saved a wretch like me. All I know is that he saved me from myself, and he is making me more and more conformed to the image of Christ day by day through this journey where I'm deepening my dependence on him. And the more that I grow in knowing him, the more I realize I don't know as much as I thought I did. I'm not that good, right? I don't have all the words of wisdom. I'm not Yoda sitting up on the mountaintop. You come and seek, seek a word. I don't, I don't have it. I don't know. <laughs> but I know the one who does. Amen? And I know he wants you to see value in him more than anything else. Is he enough? If everything else crumbled, if everything else fell, if everything else didn't work out, if everyone else abandoned you, if everyone hated you, despised you, and you had Christ, is Christ enough? I mean, like, I know the textbook answer is yes. I get that. And I would say yes, too. I would want to check yes, for sure. But is that true? Is it true in my life? Lord, help us to value you in that way, to where we cannot just give the right response because we think that'll make you happy, but because we actually believe it. We actually mean it. Help us all to do that, Lord. Help me do that.